Thank you, Shane, for giving me something that is going to be impossible to follow. I really appreciate that, buddy. Hey, I thought he was coming to touch me. If you know Shane, that wouldn't have been out of the ordinary. Um, before we get started, I'd like to uh, kind of clear the air a little bit. I'm not James. If you came here expecting James, he is gone. He is out of town. He and his wife, Kirsten, we love them so much, and we're so thankful for them. And they took a much-needed um, anniversary trip. And we were so happy for them, and we were just so happy for their leadership um, for our church. So while we pray this morning, I'm giving you a little heads up, we're going to also spend some time praying for them, praying for the two of them. I love them so much and what they mean in my life. But since I'm not James, I should probably tell you what my name is. My name is Alan Goodwin, and I'm our student pastor here at First Monroe. So if you are new or visiting or anything like that, that's who I am. Say hello sometime. Um, I'm a student pastor here, and I've been lucky enough to serve in this role here for going on two years. This fall will be my second year. Um, when James told me he was going to need me to preach today, I said, sure. Um, pro tip, don't say no to your boss. So I said, sure, I'll do that. And mostly because I was excited. I was very excited for the chance to come and to preach. Now, with our students, we do something a little different. On Wednesday night, um, I don't preach, per se. I think there's a difference between preaching and teaching. We have time where we discuss back and forth. So naturally, when he told me, all right, you're going to be preaching, it felt like I was getting called up to the big leagues. Like I was in the bullpen, and he called me up. So I asked him, um, do you want me to just to continue along in our series? If you've been here for the last few weeks, we've been going through Peter and we've been going through a series called Exiles. Um, and I was like, that'd be awesome. You could kind of tell me what you want me to preach. That'd make this a whole lot easier. He said no. And he said to preach about whatever I wanted. My first thought was that really narrows it down. It's a whole book full of scripture there. And you're telling me to preach about whatever I want. Um, so I had to start praying about what it is that I felt the Lord wanted me to share this morning. And this all kind of coincided with a season in my life. I'm in seminary at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, there's a campus over at North Monroe Baptist Church. And I take classes there. And we've been reading a lot of very challenging stuff in our classes. A lot of stuff that's really been just dealing with me this whole semester. And I felt the Lord very much so calling me to talk about that. Um, felt very strongly the Lord telling me to preach about sin. So you might be thinking your first time to preach here on a Sunday and you're going to talk about sin. Yeah, that's my thought exactly. <laughs> I was like, Lord, you could have given me anything else. It's Mother's Day. Just let me talk about mamas. That'd be great. But he said, no, this is what you're going to talk about this morning. But I want to tell you, before we even get started, my hope is not that we would leave here discouraged this morning. When we're going to take this time and we're going to talk about sin, my hope is not that we would leave discouraged, but we would leave encouraged by who Jesus Christ is. Right? Amen. We would leave hopeful because of what Jesus has done and who He is. Hmm. There's no reason for us to feel defeated if we are in Christ. Amen. So we can boldly approach the throne and we can boldly talk about these things. So before we get started, um, we're going to pray and we're going to do the same thing that we always do. I'd ask you if you're willing and able, if you would kneel. I'm going to approach the Lord. God, thank you so much for loving us. God, we do not deserve to be loved by a God like you. God, I thank you on a day like today um, when we can celebrate and appreciate um, our mothers for all that they've done in our life and all the wisdom and discernment that they've um, showed us, all the patience they've had with us. Gosh, thank you for that. 
And I thank you for James and Kirsten. Um, thank you for what they mean in my life and what they mean to this church. But God, as we approach this time where we're going to be talking about sin, God, encourage us. God, let us know there's no reason to be defeated because you have won the victory. God, thank you for being so good to us. You didn't have to. God, thank you for showing us how good you are to us when you sent your son to die in our place on the cross. God, may we leave here this morning changed, encouraged and changed and empowered to go out into our lives and to boldly live out and preach the gospel. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Fun fact, it's a, it's a lot different praying down there. It's a lot different. It's, I know y'all had to be crammed in those seats, so glad that was y'all and not me. <laughs> so where we're going to be this morning, we're going to be in Colossians 3. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, it's going to be Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. And while you're turning, I would like to kind of go ahead and give some background story to what it is that we're going to be talking about this morning. So in the first part of Colossians 3, in the first four verses, Paul is talking to the church in Colossae. He's talking to the believers in Colossae. And many of the believers there were formerly pagans, meaning they were just formerly people who were very far from God. These weren't many of them former Jews or anything like that, kind of familiar with the way this whole thing worked, kind of familiar with the idea of this God. Um, that was not their story. Many of them were pagans, and they were surrounded by this. So Paul has to tell them something I think is very interesting because these people had little to no knowledge of God before coming to know Christ. What he told them was, your thinking has to change. So verse 2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Their thinking had to change. And this is where we pick up. So I'm going to read for us, starting in verse 5. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen? Amen. So, we're going to have three points this morning as we move through. And your first point is this, if you're taking notes. You cannot put to death what you tolerate. You cannot put to death what it is that you tolerate. Now, I'm not going to lie. This is, this is what just ate me up as I've been spending this time preparing this lesson, this particular thing, because this speaks so much into me and me personally. God has just showed me so much. You cannot put to death what it is that you tolerate. We see here very clearly, starting in verse 5, the seriousness with which we ought to approach sin. Put to death carries a very serious tone, right? That's some strong words there. He's like, hey, you should maybe think about not doing these things anymore. He says, put them to death. That's very strong. Nicholas Wright um, is a writer. Got an interesting name to be a writer. Um, he gives this definition of the phrase. He says, to put something to death, you must cut off its lines of supply. You must get to the root of it, right? 
You must go beyond the surface level of the issue and get down to what is feeding it. You must cut off its lines of supply. I'm speaking for myself, but I feel like I can speak for many of us today. Many of us, especially as believers, we hate our sin, right? We hate it so much. It's one of the most perplexing parts of Christianity that sin comes so naturally to us. In fact, Scripture speaks to us being born with this predisposition towards sinning. It's like we feels as if we can't help it. We hate it so much, but we continue to do it. But I would argue this this morning for us as believers. Many times we simply hate the fruits of our sin. We simply hate the physical manifestations of our sin. So when you look at a tree, right? And you have a tree that is healthy. It's a strong tree. And it's going to bear good fruit, right? It's going to be something that's going to taste good. That apple is going to be good. You can make all kinds of things with it. I don't know. This fruit analogy is going a little far. But if you look at a dead tree... It's going to bear rotten fruit, right? Many times for us, we simply hate the physical manifestation of our sin. So what I mean by this is the things that I do and say with my body. Because if we're really peeling it back, many of us think that's what sin is. It's just the things that I, that I say and that I do. And this is, this is really hard for me to say. I'll preface this. I strongly see this in Scripture and feel it in my own life, that if we truly hated sin, we wouldn't do it. If we truly hated it, if we truly hated sin, we wouldn't do it. And here's how I'll explain this a little bit. I hate mushrooms. Can't stand them. It's a fungus. They're weird. I hate mushrooms. I don't know why you would put them on things. My little brother's here. He loves mushrooms. I don't get it. I do not like mushrooms at all. So I make it a point of not eating mushrooms. Make sense? I pick around them if I find one. I spit it out of my mouth if I bite into one. I make it a point of not ingesting mushrooms, right? Because I don't like them. I strongly dislike, I hate mushrooms. So this just leads me to ask, why do we as people who hate sin continue to do it? We see that Paul writes about in Scripture this just dilemma in his own heart. But why do I do the things that I constantly don't want to do? And what I want to do, I find myself not being able to do. I want to encourage you with this this morning. If you feel this way, you hate your sin, but you feel as if you can't escape it, you're not the only one who feels that way. You are not alone in that. Many of us feel that same way. In fact, these people we look at as being saints within the church, they felt that way as well. But here's why. I think it's because we tolerate the very things that lead us to sin. Right? I think we tolerate the very things that lead us towards our sin. Because you can tolerate something without directly encouraging it. You can allow yourself to be around something often enough that you know is just going to lead you to trouble. I'm so guilty of this even in my own life. But in reality, the sin in our lives that we hate so much all stems from things that we tolerate. The things that I say and do are very simply physical manifestations of what is in my heart. So it leads to this. If I continue to tolerate the very things that lead me to do what I hate, then I have to ask myself a question. Do I actually hate my sin or just the way that it makes me feel? This is hard. This is the hard point, I promise. And it gets a lot better from here. 
But I struggled so much thinking through this because looking in at my life, all the things that I just tolerate and I just allow myself to keep in my life that I know aren't good for me. But I feel like I just can't let them go. Why do I do that? At least point number two. What are you allowing to defeat you? If you were to think in your own life, what are you allowing to defeat you? Think about this if you've, ever, if you've ever heard this phrase before. The devil made me do it. I'm sure I went to my mama one day and said the devil made me do it or something like that and probably didn't get me out of a whooping. But I think we've all either heard that excuse or we've used that kind of excuse before. Well, the devil made me do it. And this used to be the way that I viewed sin. This used to be the way that I thought about sin and my actions just in general. I thought this way. I thought that someone has to be making me do this because I thought God makes me do good things. Satan makes me do bad things. That's not a very foreign idea. I think many of us have felt this way at times before. But part of it is because we have a twisted view of our own abilities in Christ. Someone has to be making me do this if I'm continuing to do what I hate. It can't possibly be me. But when I was 17 years old, I learned something um, at a camp, actually. And the guy who was telling me this, his name is Brian Crane. And when he told me this, it radically changed the way that I would view sin for the rest of my life. He said, Alan, you have never sinned against your will. That might be kind of a weird statement, but it's completely true. You have never sinned against your will. Meaning this, every single time in my life that I have sinned, I have chosen to do so. It's a hard reality that changes things. Essentially, every time I've sinned in my life, it's been by choice. James 1, 13-15, you don't have to turn there, but I will read it. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, brings forth death. Every one of us is tempted, right? Jesus himself was tempted. There's nothing, in in itself, there's nothing wrong with being tempted. But none of us are forced. Now, I don't want you to be discouraged by this at all. Some of you, if you're hearing this, if this is the first time you might have thought of sin in this way, and you might even be sitting there thinking, why is this dude just talking about sin so much? It's Mother's Day. We're trying to go to lunch. Like You you might be thinking that in your seat right now, but this is where it all changes. This is where it all gets good. This is where God steps in. Here's what this means. If no one can force you to sin, then no one can stop you from saying no. If no one can force you to sin, no one can stop you from saying no. This statement carries with it power for believers. You are powerful and you are strong. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But this is what this means for us. Some of you may have never realized this. You don't have to do it. That should set some of you free this morning. It sets me free to remind myself that I don't have to do these things. You know, there's an old saying um, that we talk about certain things that we carry with us, certain noble things that we have to do, and especially us as believers, we use this phrase, it's just my cross to bear. You might have heard that before. And it comes from Scripture where Jesus talks about taking up our cross and following Him. 
But one thing that I've noticed in my life is that I'll hear people talk about sin that way. People talk about sin as if it's their cross to bear. And they'll say that. I guess that's just my cross to bear. James says this quite a lot. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There, I quoted James. He'll be happy about that. (laughs) The only cross we have to bear, hear this, believers, the only cross we have to bear is a love for and devotion to the one who saved us from our sin. Sin is not a cross that you bear. It is a burden that we feel like we can't escape sometimes, but it is not the cross you bear. Jesus already bore the cross. The only cross that we bear as believers, as followers of Jesus, is that we love Jesus and we love other people. That is our cross. It is not our sin. Christ did not die to save you from your sin so that you would continue to live in bondage to it. I'm going to say that again. Christ did not die to save you from your sin so you would continue to live in bondage to it. When Christ died and resurrected Himself, He defeated sin. And not just in a moment, not just at that one time, He defeated sin forevermore. For every believer who would ever live, for anyone who would ever place their faith in Jesus Christ, He has defeated sin. Man, that should encourage us. That the God we serve is more powerful than the thing that defeats us. Man, I wouldn't want to serve anyone else. He died to set you free. You don't have to live burdened by sin anymore. Nicholas Wright again says this, Rather, every Christian has the responsibility before God to investigate the lifelines of whatever sins are defeating him or her personally and to cut them off without pity. I love the end of that phrase, to cut them off without pity. And this carries some serious implications. You know, I've thought long and hard about certain things that maybe I ought to share and certain things maybe I shouldn't. But when I was a teenager, I did not know Jesus. I'd grown up in church my entire life. Many of you have possibly a similar story to me. And on the outside, I was a great church kid. Well, that's immodest to me. I thought I was a great church kid. I was trying to just keep this image up. I was a part of FCA in my high school. I was a leader in my youth group. As a matter of fact, at 13 years old, I was the fill-in for my youth pastor when he didn't show up. I was trying my best on the outside to maintain this image. But on the inside... Daily, I was struggling with this deep-rooted addiction that defeated me. Many of you have maybe similar stories to this. All through high school and then into college, I struggled with this hidden sins in my life that no one knew about. And then when I was 17 years old, that summer, I realized for the first time that I don't have to sin. That changed things for me. I I felt as if I had no hope and I was defeated. And I learned that I didn't have to do it anymore. When I was 18, I entered the BCM at ULM. And it was there through seeing other people live out their faith that I gave my life to Christ. But what I realized is that that battle with sin followed me into my life as a believer. Many of you know this same sort of thing. 
That sin did not leave immediately. I'll hear some people's stories and their testimonies where they talk about um, these deep-rooted addictions and sins and kind of cutting it cold turkey when they became a believer. And it's hard for me not to roll my eyes at them. (laughs) I just think to myself, like, must be nice. And I thank God that that happens. God has definitely worked in my life in some of those same ways. But I carried stuff for a while. I might be the only one, but I carried stuff for a while. And it was through learning more about Jesus and learning more through Scripture, I began to realize that God talked about me as a believer as if I had power. God talked about my relationship with sin as if I had a choice. And the boldest thing of all, God said that He Himself lived in me. God said His Holy Spirit is now in me. So the one who has power over sin and death lives in me. That changes the way that I view sin. And I began to just see victory after victory over sin in my life. And all I could explain it by was the Holy Spirit. It was God at work in me. And I want that so desperately for people today. We can be strong because of this. We can be strong because we are not who we used to be. As Shane said earlier, we are a new creation. Putting on the new self makes us more like Jesus. It aligns us even more so with the image of God. It brings us closer to our designed humanity and unity with God. Do you realize that God's desire and God's plan for His creation for His people is that they would be united under Him? That seems form when we look at our world today because it seems as if we're divided more than ever, right? It's difficult. It can be depressing sometimes. But God's desire is that we will be unified under one name, and that name is Jesus Christ. The God who died for you, gave Himself up for you, defeated what you could not for you. If you are in Christ, you have more power than you know. Power placed in you by the love and grace of God. And isn't it just like Satan to lie to us about how powerful we are? Did God really say that to you? Do you really have the Holy Spirit living within you? Would someone with God literally dwelling in them really say or do something like you just did? It is an attempt of Satan to convince you that sin is stronger than you are. But we can look no further than Scripture. Romans 5 says, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where our sin increased, grace abounded all the more. There is grace for you, believer. There is grace for you that occurred at the moment Jesus gave up His life. When He said to Telestai, He said, it is finished. It is done. It is done now. It is done forever. It is done now. It is done 2,000 years later when that person continues to be defeated by sin. I died so they would have power over that sin. So that they would know me. So that they would walk after me. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not the same as you used to be. You are different. He didn't die for you to leave you where He found you. And we can praise God for that. In Christ, you are powerful and strong. We, man, we sell ourselves short and the gospel short. 
when we act as if we are weak and incapable. Christ died to make you capable. I'll be honest. I was incredibly nervous today. Incredibly nervous because this is so different than what I normally do. I feel a little bit out of practice. Um, But more so than that, I was nervous to think that there would be someone who comes today and hears about how powerful they are in Christ or how powerful they can be in Christ and they would choose to say no to that. I was nervous. I mean, I still am. I'm nervous for that, if that is you. But man, I'm so encouraged by the grace of Jesus Christ. I want anyone who doesn't know Jesus to know Jesus the way that He has revealed Himself to me. That He loves me in a way that I've never been loved before. See, many of us love people out of our excess. We love people when it's easy and when it's convenient. God loved me in spite of myself. And He loves you the same way. I'm by no means perfect. I thank God daily that He has qualified me for ministry because if it was up to me, I would do nothing but disqualify myself. If it was up to my own ability, I wouldn't last. I struggle daily with everything I've talked about this morning. But I've been encouraged by God's grace God's grace that saved me, God's grace that empowered me, and God's grace that never leaves me. If you are in Christ, that same is true for you. So there are, I believe, three responses today. The first is this. You might be someone who never knew God died to make you strong. You might have never known that. That God desires that you would be strong and that you would become more like Him and that you would be someone who sees victories in your life and not constant defeats. Because you are powerful, you can pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ and see healing. You can pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ and see victory over sin. You can pray for your own life and walk away from that sin that's always entangled you. You might have been defeated by the same sin for 30 years or however long it's been. And this morning, you can say no and never go back. You can follow after Jesus and never go back. Praise God for that. You can lead your family in a way you never knew was possible because of Jesus. You can be who you never thought you could be because of Jesus. Response number one might be dealing with that. Response number two might be committing to see victory over sin. See, small victories snowball into monumental ones. Individual moments of faithfulness lead to a lifetime of faithfulness. Every moment that we say no to sin and yes to Jesus makes us more like Him. Every moment you do that is a victory. Celebrate that. Commit to seeing that. And lastly, the final response is to believe the gospel. For the first time, you could believe the gospel today. You could walk after Jesus. You could exit today literally a different person than you were when you walked in. 
You can be made and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ because He loves you. In the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did is that although we sin and we do it so naturally like we've talked about, God did not desire to leave us there. God wanted relationship with you so badly that He would come to earth, live a life that you couldn't, die a death that you couldn't, and do what no one ever could and defeat death and get up. Be raised victoriously. He did that all for you. He did that all for me. I can't believe it. Or you might be like me and you might have to remind yourself every day of that same gospel, of that same good news. You might be a believer who's been going through a hard time, struggling, and just needed to be reminded today of what Jesus did for you, of the lengths that He would go for you. These people with nothing to offer and everything to gain, Christ died for us. So right here in our seats, as we would pray together, I just pray that you would know those are our responses today. Be empowered as God desires you to be. See victories over sin as God desires you to see. And believe His gospel. As always, um, the altar here, there's nothing special about this altar, but this is a place where we can come and we can deal with our sin. This altar will be open. I will be here in the front. There's people all across the church who would love nothing more today on Mother's Day than to get to tell someone about Jesus Christ. Pray for us. God, thank you for how good you are. God, thank you for how powerful you are. And as Shane talked about this imputed righteousness, God, you are good and you are pure and you are holy and you died for me not to leave me where you found me, but to bring me closer to you. What good news that is. God, in this place this morning, God, work in hearts, stir in our hearts. God, make it increasingly obvious what we are to do because of this truth we have heard this morning. That sin is strong, sin is powerful, but you rose victorious over it. And you love us enough to see us do the same. We don't have to live burdened by things you died to unshackle us from. God, as always, I want to be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory for everything that you've done for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.